0: chapter 28 of dogs and all about them this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org dogs and all about them by robert layton chapter 28 the old working terrier there can hardly have been a time since the period of the norman conquest when the small earth dogs which we now call terriers were not known in these islands and used by sporting men as assistants in the chase and by husbandmen for the killing of obnoxious vermin the two little dogs shown in the bayou tapestry running with the hounds in advance of king harold's hawking party were probably meant for terriers dame juliana burners in the fifteenth century did not neglect to include the terroirs in her catalogue of sporting dogs, and a hundred years later Dr. Caius gave pointed recognition to their value in unearthing the fox and drawing the badger. Another sort there is, wrote the doctor's translator in 1576, which hunteth the fox and the badger or gray oneley, whom they call terrors, because they, after the manner and custom of ferrets in searching for conies, creep into the ground, and by that means make afraid, nip and bite the fox and the badger in such sort that either they tear them in pieces with their teeth, being in the bosom of the earth, or else haul and pull them perforce out of their lurking angles, dark dungeons and close caves, or at the least, through concerned fear, drive them out of their hollow harbors, insomuch that they are compelled to prepare speedy flight and, being desirous of the next, albeit not the safest, refuge, are otherwise taken and entrapped with snares and nets laid over holes to the same purpose, but these be the least in that kind called Sajaks. The color, size, and shape of the original terriers are not indicated by the early writers, and art supplies but vague and uncertain evidence. Nicholas Cox, who wrote of Sporting Dogs in The Gentleman's Recreation 1667 seems to suggest that the type of working terrier was already fixed sufficiently to be divided into two kinds, the one having shaggy coats and straight limbs, the other smooth coats and short bent legs. Yet some years later another authority, Blome, in the same publication was more guarded in his statements as to the terrier type, when he wrote, "'Everybody that is a fox-hunter is of opinion that he hath a good breed,' and some will say that the terrier is a peculiar species of itself. I will not say anything to the affirmative or negative of the point. Searching for evidence on the subject, one finds that perhaps the earliest references to the colors of terriers were made by Daniel in his field sports at the end of the 18th century, when he described two sorts. The one rough, short-legged, and long-backed, very strong, and most commonly of a black or yellowish color mixed with white evidently a hound-marked dog and another smooth-coated and beautifully formed with a shorter body and more sprightly appearance generally of a reddish-brown color or black with tanned legs gilpin's portrait of colonel thornton's celebrated pitch painted in seventeen ninety presents a terrier having a smooth white coat with a black patch at the set-on of the undocked tail and black markings on the face and ears. The dog's head is badly drawn and small in proportion, but the body and legs and coloring would hardly disgrace the totterage kennels of today. Fox-terriers of a noted strain were depicted from life by Wrangle in The Sportsman's Cabinet, published over a hundred years ago, and in the text accompanying the engraving a minute account is given of the peculiarities and working capacities of the terrier. We are told that there were two breeds, the one wire-haired, larger, more powerful, and harder bitten, the other smooth-haired and smaller, with more style. The wire-hairs were white with spots, the smooths were black and tan, the tan apparently predominating over the black. The same writer states that it was customary to take out a brace of terriers with a pack of hounds, a larger and a smaller one the smaller dog being used in emergency when the earth proved to be too narrow to admit his bigger companion it is well known that many of the old fox hunters have kept their special breeds of terrier and the belvoir the grove and lord middletons are among the packs to which particular terrier strains have been attached That even a hundred years ago terriers were bred with care, and that certain strains were held in a special value, is shown by the recorded fact that a litter of seven puppies was sold for twenty-one guineas, a good price even in these days, and that on one occasion so high a sum as twenty guineas was paid for a full-grown dog. At that time there was no definite and well-established breed recognized throughout the islands by a specific name. The embracing title of terrier included all the varieties which have since been carefully differentiated but very many of the breeds existed in their respective localities awaiting national recognition here and there some squire or huntsman nurtured a particular strain and developed a type which he kept pure and at many a manor-house and farmstead in devonshire and cumberland on many a highland estate and irish riverside where there were foxes to be hunted or otters to be killed Terriers of definite strain were religiously cherished. Several of these still survive, and are as respectable in descent and quite as important historically as some of the favored and fashionable champions of our time. They do not perhaps possess the outward beauty and distinction of type which would justify their being brought into general notice, but as workers they retain all the fire and verve that are required in dogs that are expected to encounter such vicious vermin as the badger and the fox. Some of the breeds of Terrier seen nowadays in every dog show were equally obscure and unknown a few years back. Thirty-seven years ago the now popular Irish Terrier was practically unknown in England, and the Scottish Terrier was only beginning to be recognized as a distinct breed. The Welsh Terrier is quite a new introduction that a dozen or so years ago was seldom seen outside the Principality. And so recently as 1881, The Airedale was merely a local dog known in Yorkshire as the Waterside or the Bingley Terrier. Yet the breeds just mentioned are all of unimpeachable ancestry, and the circumstance that they were formerly bred within limited neighborhoods is in itself an argument in favor of their purity. We have seen the process of a sudden leap into recognition enacted during the past few years in connection with the White Terrier of the Western Highlands a dog which was familiarly known in Argleshire centuries ago, yet which has only lately emerged from the heathery hillsides around Pultellock to to become an attraction on the benches at the Crystal Palace and on the lawns of the Botanical Gardens. And the example suggests the possibility that in another decade or so the neglected Sealyham Terrier, the ignored Terrier of the Borders, and the almost forgotten jack russell strain may have claimed a due recompense for their long neglect there are lovers of the hard-bitten working earth dogs who still keep these strains inviolate and who greatly prefer them to the better-known terriers whose natural activities have been too often atrophied by a system of artificial breeding to show points Few of these old unregistered breeds would attract the eye of the fancier accustomed to judge a dog parading before him in the show-ring. To know their value, and to appreciate their sterling good qualities, one needs to watch them at work on badger, or when they hit upon the line of an otter. It is then that they display the alertness and the dare-devil courage which have won for the English terriers their name and fame. An excellent working terrier was the white, rough-haired strain kept by the Reverend John Russell in Devonshire, and distributed among privileged sportsmen about Somersetshire and Gloucestershire. The working attributes of these energetic terriers have long been understood, and the smart, plucky little dogs have been constantly coveted by breeders all over the country, but they have never won the popularity they deserve. Those who have kept both varieties prefer the Russell to the Sealyham Terrier, which is nevertheless an excellent worker. It is on record that one of these, a bitch of only nine pounds weight, fought and killed single-handed a full-grown dog-fox. The Sealyham derives its breed name from the seat of the Edwards family, near Haverford's West, in Pembrokeshire, where the strain has been carefully preserved for well over a century it is a long-bodied short-legged terrier with a hard wiry coat frequently whole white but also white with black or brown markings or brown with black they may be as heavy as seventeen pounds but twelve pounds is the average weight some years ago the breed seemed to be on the downgrade requiring fresh blood from a well-chosen outcross one hears very little concerning them nowadays but it is certain that when in their prime they possessed all the grit, determination, and endurance that are looked for in a good working terrier. A wire-haired black and tan terrier was once common in Suffolk and Norfolk, where it was much used for rabbiting, but it may now be extinct, or, if not extinct, probably identified with a Welsh terrier, which it closely resembled in size and colouring. There was also, in Shropshire, a well-known breed of wire-haired terriers, black and tan on very short legs and weighing about ten pounds or twelve pounds with long punishing heads and extraordinary working powers so too in lancashire and cheshire one used to meet with sandy-coloured terriers of no very well authenticated strain but closely resembling the present breed of irish terrier and squire thornton at his place near pickering in yorkshire had a breed of wire hairs, tan in color with a black stripe down the back. Then there is the cowley strain, kept by the cowleys of calipers near King's Langley. These are white, wire-haired dogs, marked like the fox-terrier and exceedingly game. Possibly the Elterwater-terrier is no longer to be found, but some few of them still existed a dozen years or so ago in the Lake District, where they were used in conjunction with the West Cumberland otter hounds. They were not easily distinguishable from the better-known border terriers, of which there are still many strains, ranging from Northumberland, where Mr. T. Robson of Bellingham has kept them for many years, to Galloway and Ayrshire and the Lothians, where their coats become longer and less crisp. There are many more local varieties of the working terrier, as, for example, the Roseneath, which is often confused with the Pultolock, or the White West Highlander, to whom it is possibly related, and the Pittenweem, with which the Pultedlock Terriers are now being crossed. While Mrs. Alastair Campbell of Ardresheg has a pack of Cairn Terriers which seem to represent the original type of the improved Scotty. Considering the great number of strains that have been preserved by sporting families and maintained in more or less purity to type, It is easy to understand how a new breed may become fashionable and still claim the honor of long descent. They may not in all cases have the beauty of shape which is desired on the show-bench, but it is well to remember that while our show-terriers have been bred to the highest perfection, we still possess in Great Britain a separate order of earth-dogs that for pluckily following the fox and the badger into their lairs or bolting an otter from his holt cannot be excelled all the world over. End of chapter 28